welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. A trigger warning that in this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, my guest and I will be discussing her experience writing about traumatic material, including child sexual abuse. Brittany Means is a Chicana writer and editor living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. A graduate of Iowa's MFA nonfiction writing program, Means has worked with Inara Bruzemniaks and Kiese Lehman. She has received several awards for her work, including the Magdalena Award, Geneva Fellowship, and Grace Paley Fellowship at Under the Volcano. Her new memoir is Hell If We Don't Change Our Ways. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, Roni. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy that you're here. And, you know, I kind of want to talk about everything all at once because I'm so excited about this opportunity. But I will start where I start all my interviews, (laughs) which is to ask you to share a bit about hell if we don't change our ways. Yeah, of course. Uh, Yeah, this is my memoir. It's my first book. And it's essentially about growing up vagrant with my mom in Indiana. We lived in a car for a long time. She had an abusive boyfriend who was trying to find us, so we stayed on the move, and we stayed with people and in shelters, and we, for a while, lived with my grandparents in rural Indiana who were Southern Pentecostals. And then when I was in high school, I moved in with a foster family, and I was there until I left for college. So it's just the story of homelessness and trauma and getting out and then learning how to deal with all of the baggage as an adult. Mm-hmm. I feel like you you got out of this trauma, this initial trauma in your life, which was, I mean, profound. I read a lot of memoirs and this one really really affected me like a lot. I read a lot of memoirs. I know I just said that, but I'm trying to emphasize exactly how I received your work. I wanted to ask you when you began writing this book and, and really how you found the voice for the book. Yeah. Um, it's a little hard to pinpoint when I really started first working on it. When I was a kid, I used to um, and I started reading and because people in my family were such storytellers mm-hmm. I I think as a coping mechanism when I was in the middle of something I would start thinking like this is how I would write it if I was mm-hmm. writing this as a scene or this is what it would look like in a movie mm-hmm. and then when I was in college I took a nonfiction writing class with Jill Chrisman at Ball State who actually, Brittany, I have to tell you, I meant to mention this before. I just interviewed Jill. And no when I asked her, <laughs> yes, and when I asked her what memoir she recommended to you listeners, yours came out of her mouth. And I, I said, oh my gosh, I interrupted her. I said, I'm interviewing Brittany tomorrow. It was just <laughs> such an amazing full circle type of moment. I just loved it. That's beautiful. And yeah, her her book, um, Dark Room was one that I had on my writing shelf, and I opened it all the time when I was looking for guidance. So, oh, 
that warms my heart. I know. And actually, Jill Christman's book, Dark Room, was the first memoir my advisor, Deborah Gortney, suggested I read when I started studying for my MFA at Pacific University in writing. So that, there's this big Jill Christman connection. <laughs> what a world. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So okay. So you started writing there because I, I love to know the genesis of this and also so curious about how you knew you'd landed on The Voice or if I can even, if, if you even knew that at a, at a certain point. Yeah. It was actually Joel Christman who pulled me aside in that class. I had written, it was like the first time I ever tried writing about my younger brother's kidnapping. And she like pulled me aside and had all this feedback. And she was like, you are a writer, <laughs> like with the emphasis on the word. And it was, it was kind of a revelation because it was just, for me, it was just something I did. So to have someone like look at me and point at what I was doing that I didn't really think of as that significant was, I was like, oh, maybe I need to do this like on purpose mm-hmm. and more. Mm-hmm. Then I took it to grad school so I could, you know, finalize all the little skills I wanted to tell it the right way. And I think I tried to, to find a good voice between the the kid I was and all the stuff she was going through and the perceptions she had and balance it with my own recollections when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that when you first studied with Jill, you were not a writing major at all? No, I, I started as a social work major at Ball State and mm-hmm. it really was, I believe, working with Jill that I, I switched over entirely. It was that and meeting actual social workers who were just so tired and like run down by the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, Maybe not that. Maybe I'll do something lucrative, like write books. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you, you're joking, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. Um, okay, well, so this is an interesting thing because, um, and I guess, you know, there, there will be a moment in a little bit where you're going to read um, an excerpt that we discussed, but there's uh, an intimacy. There is this incredible sense, for me at least, of, of reading, in reading it, of being dropped in really directly and closely to you I I feel very much like the writer who's talking to me is already really established as a as a persona in themselves a very solid very specific presence and I guess I'm kind of wondering which I, I I guess that sounds funny that's what we strive for right but it's not always as present and grounded I think and I'm wondering how do you have a sense of how how you got there or if it took a lot of effort? Um, yeah, I, I, a lot of it just feels instinctual to me. Just, yeah, I hear it a certain way in my head and I write it, but in terms of like trying to welcome the reader in, that was really important for me. That's something I worked hard on. And Mm. part of it was, I, I know it's very heavy content and that it'll be difficult and, there are so many books I've read, memoir specifically, where I, I walk away and I'm kind of haunted by what I read or mm-hmm. just pops back in my head. And um, it's it's hard. You hold other people's stories. There's, there's no way not to, you know, <laughs> put that burden on someone sometimes. And it doesn't always feel like a burden, but I, I wanted to know that if I was, if I was writing something that might stick with people and might be hard for them, like something that they wake up in the middle of the night and they're like, ugh, that part in that book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be there with them for that. 
Mm-hmm. And and actually, there are a couple of times within the book. I mean, overall, there is very charged and upsetting material in there, uh, and upsetting in the sense that you know, wanting to protect you as the younger version of yourself, and even now having to revisit these memories. But also, I noticed I was trying to take note of how you dealt with the more shocking, or I don't shocking doesn't do it justice, but the more haunting moments, uh, how you approach those. Like, for example, without giving anything away, there's a moment where you're watching a home movie with Mark that he puts on for you and an animal gets hurt. And I found myself stunned in a way by the way that you rendered that. And I actually gasped. You know, I gasped and I don't know how you did that. <laughs> like, like how how did you – is there a technique that you employed to – to render very complex and shocking moments or did it just come out that way? So one of the ways I approached the book was writing things that were like stuck in my head. If there was an event that I come back to all the time or I kind of obsess over or that like intrudes in mm-hmm. nice moments in my life, I, I really emphasized starting with those and getting those down, just like getting it all out and then um, like with the, the scene you're talking about specifically, I tried to think like if I could, if I could go back and like make it easier or like what is a, a loving way I can write this that's loving to the version of me who went through it and also loving toward the people who are going to read this, um, mm-hmm. who maybe have never been through something like that or, or who have, uh, I, yeah, I just wanted to, I tried to think of what it would be like to experience it mm-hmm. if if you weren't the person, me, obsessing over it constantly. Yeah, and the, the juxtaposition of that, what's really interesting to me is that none of that is overwrought at all, right? Like, that's the thing when we're writing very difficult, well, anything, nothing should necessarily be overwrought in this type of work. But when there is something that is so profoundly jarring or out of the norm, this idea of how to write it can become really important because you don't want to hit the reader over the head or wring your hands or mm-hmm. have someone brace themselves in such a way that the moment is lost. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's difficult. I think it's really hard to approach that and you do it again and again in, in, really, in a really deft way. So you seem to have worked with really incredible teachers just judging from what we've just learned about Jill Chrisman and then the bio that I read about you. How did early readers and teachers impact this manuscript? Yeah, um, there were so many. Uh, I mean, even as far back as high school, uh, like I had that great moment with Jill Chrisman. And in high school, I had an English teacher named Kenneth Barrett. And there was a creative writing class and I had room. So I was like, why not? I like poetry. Um, but then he had us write, you know, prose and fiction, nonfiction. And he also gave me a little moment of like, Hey, you're a good writer. And, uh, like Joel Chrisman telling me that I was a like capital W writer (laughs) was a thing, but there was like a little building block before that, that was someone telling me that I was good at something. And I don't think I'd ever thought of myself as good at anything. So (laughs) hearing like that I, someone liked the little things that I wrote and they weren't just things to keep in a diary that I should share them with other people was huge and then I got another little speed boost with Jill Mm -hmm. Chrisman and then in grad school um, 
my first semester, Kiese Lehman was a visiting professor and he did my first workshop. And that was just, it was like a crack your brain wide open kind of experience, just the way he talked about writing and like feeling your writing and your body and taking care of yourself and taking care of your community and um, just things that I I think I felt, but I didn't really know how to put into words mm. and that were just very, um, yeah, very validating and important. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've that class <laughs> really have taken everything he said with me through all of my writing and all of my reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Anara Verzimniaks, who's like an angel. I um, read her memoir actually a couple of years ago and yeah. I thought it was beautiful. So well done. Mm-hmm. She's a really incredible person. Um, she has a reputation uh, in the program. You go in for a conference after your workshop and you expect her to like give you feedback or something and then she does she gives you amazing feedback and then also she like sees into the core of your soul and says something you need to hear (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah I've I've had I've been really lucky I have had wonderful mentors and teachers Mm. all the way through yeah Mm -hmm. and I was wondering if you feel like you could read that excerpt from bearing the mark or maybe the whole piece is bearing the mark I can't remember yeah of course and if you if you want to set, I mean, I don't know that it needs a setup because I feel like this is such a, I don't know, not universal because we're all specific and different, but lots of us who have had insecure childhoods or adverse childhood experiences might might relate to what you begin the passage with. But if you'd like to set it in time at all, please do. Yeah, um, this was a part I wrote because um, I was trying to think about like beliefs I had during the events in the book versus the the way I thought about them when I was an adult. And I realized that this was a really important one, that when I was a kid, I thought that like I had caused things to happen or I had been complicit. Um, and it was a hard thing to think through. Uh, like I, I kind of quietly forgave myself or whatever that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quietly learned like it wasn't my fault. I was just a kid and all of these things, but I wanted to show my math on the page um, because I felt like it was important. So, bearing the mark. I used to wonder if it was me. Some quality that made people want to do hushed and unclean things to me. In the swirling childhood years, a neighbor boy would lead me under an abandoned truck bed to play doctor. A babysitter would fill my mouth with Dawn dish soap while holding my face with her manicured nails pressing into my neck and cheeks. A man in a trailer would spit in my underwear to get me ready for him. Another neighbor boy would drop me into his parents' empty above-ground pool with his pet rabbit and throw rocks at me, forcing me to keep the animal safe with my body as it scratched at me to get away. I've wondered if there was some kind of weakness they all saw in me. Could it be my skin, my eyes, my hair, darker than theirs, but only slightly so? Was I an exotic thing to experiment on? A curiosity? Did Mark leave a mark on me that let others know I was to be used? I'm not asking you. I know better than to wonder now, but still sometimes I wonder. Without solid answers, without the ability to ask these people what was in their minds while they acted on me, I can only twist assumptions into stories. I can give them reasons, or I can take reason from them. 
They were holding cruelty in their minds, trying it out on a vessel that didn't count. They regret it. They relish it. They hated me. They were indifferent to me. It's because of how they saw me. It had nothing to do with me. When I say that my father was a rapist, it's doubly true. Mark wasn't biologically related to me, but he was the first person in my life I attached the idea of dad to. As I got older and tried to figure myself out, it felt like he wrote himself into my body like DNA, stomped up the spiral staircase of my double helixes, dragging his nails across the walls as he went. All I know about my biological father is that he planted me and my mother against her will. I know that he looked like me, and that I look like him. Black hair, brown eyes, and tan skin. I wonder all the time, though I have guilt about wondering, what his singing voice is like. If we have the same dinosaur knuckles, the same tendency to get out of bed and chug orange juice in the middle of the night, standing in the light of the fridge, always spilling a little on our chest. I want to love him. I want not to want to love him. Sometimes I close my eyes and cradle my own face and pretend I want nothing. I used to be afraid that I was evil, that I'd come out this way, maybe because of how I was conceived, that I inherited too much monstrosity, that I was marked like Cain. It was satisfying, in a navel-gazing, scab-peeling kind of way, to imagine that there was something exceptionally terrible inside me. I believed that I could hate myself without hurting anyone. If I was going to sit alone with my shame, maybe, but now I've invited you here. I owe us all a more thoughtful conclusion. Nothing that happened to me made me monstrous. The only way for me to become monstrous is if I give in to my ugliest impulses. I didn't inherit monstrosity either. Without having met him, all I can really know that I inherited from my biological father are his physical features. I find his eyes, his hair, his skin, these features were monstrous to me growing up. I wanted to have blue eyes like my mother and my brother. I wanted to have light hair and milk skin. I wanted to look like everyone around me, like the people I loved. Not once in my childhood did I think I was beautiful. Not in my imagination or school pictures or bathroom mirror or spirit. I used to keep my arms crossed behind my back so I wouldn't see the contrast of my skin against my white church dress, and everyone said how polite I was. You can make any connection you want if you're already looking for it. Thank you. So, I wonder, a lot of memoirists have to dig deeply into material and history that's fraught and difficult, and it sounds like so much of what you had to write in these pages is that way. And so when you approached extra charged material, was there a way that you found to work or that you recommend to other writers who have to do this kind of writing, approach it or take care of themselves? It's a hard one because I, I think it's as much as you do, it'll be hard regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was really important to stop. Like if I was writing for hours and it was something heavy and my brain still wanted to go, but I'd been sitting there for really long and I was feeling, you know, kind of bogged down and weird. Mm. Um, I, I made myself stop on days when I really wanted to keep going, but I knew like if I, if I push myself, I'm, I'm going to end this day 
um, probably I'll have nightmares tonight or I won't be able to eat or I'm going to get muscle spasms. Um, so yeah, I was fighting against the instinct to to follow the inspiration, which is extremely hard Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to get the inspiration sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I forced myself to stop while I was ahead. I ran a lot. Jeff made sure I ate because <laughs> there were days where I would just write for hours and not eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think if I had a recommendation, it would be check in with yourself and be willing to walk away to take care of yourself because you can always come back and write more. But sometimes when you push too hard, you can hurt yourself, even if it doesn't seem like it will. Mm-hmm. And what does it feel like? Uh, I mean, the book is almost, as as we record this, the book is about to be in the world at large. And obviously, a lot of people have read it closer to you. How does it feel to know this story is entering the world? Um, it, it comes in waves of, I'm excited. Um, and then I'm anxious. And then it's kind of surreal. I've had a few moments of like, oh, no. I've done a terrible thing. Um, But overall, I'm excited. Think I've, you know, one of the early readers sent me a message and said, like, I have not been through exactly what you've been through, but I've had my own stuff. And what you wrote helped me think about it and gave me a lot of feelings about the things that happened. And then, like, even if I just got that message, I think it would be worth it because for me when I was growing up and I read a book and it had you know someone describing like being manipulated or feeling neglected or or just those experiences that feel really solitary Mm -hmm. and you can't really put them into words and then I saw someone put them into words and it made it real for me like this isn't just a thing I'm imagining this is something I'm going through and something other people go through and the idea that I can do that for someone else that there might be you know a young woman out there in an abusive relationship or someone struggling with a relationship with their parents or their self-image or or whatever um that's what I get most excited about or what I try to think about instead on days when I'm like oh no Mm -hmm. oh god (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think so many memoirists go through that and Another question that comes up too a lot is what you do when you're telling stories that involve other people. And then a lot of writers say, well, obviously, if it had to do with you too, you have a right to tell it. And I have my own opinions about that. I am super, super behind any memoirist who wants to tell their story, of course. How did you uh, negotiate writing stories that included other people, for example, like your brother um, and any close family? Did you feel like you had to check in with them? Or I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, this is a topic I always love to talk to other writers about because I don't think there's like one absolute truth answer. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a really complicated thing that everyone has to decide in their own lives and for me I just tried to write with love and compassion first like I, I wrote a draft that was like for, for some scenes I wrote the angry version or the version that's I'm still hurt and I'm really emotional and then I went back through it and asked myself like is this fair to this person does this leave room for them 
not to only exist in the emotion that I wrote this in? Um, will the reader feel at all complicated if they know X, Y, and Z about this person's past? So I, I never wanted to have a scene where it's possible to just say, like, these people are terrible to this kid and there's nothing else complicated about it. They're just villains. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that there was always complexity. And then, uh, yeah, I let Ben read it. I offered to let my mom read it. I let the foster family read it. Um, I tried to get everyone a chance to give their feedback or, you know, veto anything. And it was, yeah, I had the full range of reactions from like, thank you so much for writing this to you got this wrong to how dare you. Um, and yeah, I think that's another thing that's important for writers to know that you can do your absolute best. You can write it with love and all of the compassion and good intention in the world. And if someone is determined to feel like you're attacking them on the page, they're going to read that. It, <laughs> it doesn't matter. They will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. I kind of am in the same camp as you. I think when I wrote my memoir, I definitely sent, before it went to press, I sent it to the people in my nuclear family. And, and it actually helped me. I did correct a couple of things and I, I tempered one or two things and it didn't change my truth or what I needed to say it just made sure that readers would receive it in a way that was a little more balanced um so what about before we head to like recommendations that you might want to offer about books that you love can we talk for a second about nuts and bolts stuff craft stuff that beyond the material that you wrote and having the time or the the intention to write this book what maybe irked you on a craft level or was more complicated for you you know was structure at all confounding was there anything that really bugged you or like oh this is so hard to do (laughs) yeah I think the hardest thing was having to read it like 500 times (laughs) uh yeah I by the end of it the like the third to last round of fully going through the book and editing and close reading, I was like pulling my hair. I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I think in terms of, of like actual structure stuff that tripped me up was um, balancing the, the more narrative stuff in the past and, and then bringing in my present day voice, which is complicated because I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even describe it as like my present, present day voice. I was kind of frozen as like a 29 year old or 28 when I was doing most of the editing. And even just two years later at 30, going back through it, I was like, I don't know, I might, <laughs> I might feel a little more nuanced about that now, but I had to just let the 28 year old have her present day perspective. So yeah, that was a hard thing. Yeah, I agree about that. The the balancing the voice and the character versus narrator and then to realize that the narrator isn't the you right now. That's also a persona in in many ways. Uh so what advice would you give to writers working on their memoirs? Yeah, I think maybe most importantly take care of yourself and do a lot of checking in. Same with what I said earlier, but more in terms of like ask yourself a lot of questions if you're I I used to get like really bad muscle cramps and muscle spasms when I was writing and it it is true the body does keep the score Mm -hmm. so yeah just 
take care of yourself, find ways to do tactile things like get up and go on a walk or cook something or clean or do a puzzle or something that forces you to like use your body because writing can be like so up in your head and Mm. it's important to like reconnect and remind yourself like I'm not in the time of these events even though I had to put myself there uh yeah just come back and stay healthy and and also know that people will misread you people will come to whatever conclusions they have the intention to come to and all you can the only comfort maybe not the only but the main comfort at least for me was I know I did the best I could do and I wrote this with love and if someone reads this and they come away with like a completely different conclusion I know I did my best (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what memoirs would you recommend that or or that were really close to you that helped you that you go back to again and again that you think memoirists would would appreciate knowing about I mean heavy by Kiese Lehman it was definitely on my writing shelf um just the ability to move in and out from narrative to thinking like um reflecting and asking really hard questions and asking them with love and sometimes anger and just the the blend of emotion and thought in that book is i yeah it's ragged (laughs) on my Mm -hmm. shelf um and then dark room by joel chrisman and oh i wish i had them all here but in the dream house by carmen maria machado i need to at some point post a picture of my reading shelf because i had so many books where if i was stuck i would go and open them and see like how did they get into this scene or how did they get out of this scene or yeah Mm -hmm. thank you you know I here's another thought that's not gonna this is like my parting thought in a way and I haven't planned it I didn't intend on saying it but and it may come out really clumsy but I'm gonna try which is I I am so happy that you made it through your life to write about it I'm you know, it's really tough, everything, you know, that, that you describe and, and you have in your book. And uh, I'm just, at, at least, you know, at least you've been able to tell your story. And I feel like that, that is something. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, best of luck with this book launch and this debut. Um Thank you so much for being my guest. I'm really, really happy we had this chance to talk together. Yeah, me too. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.